A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of The Bell Tell was originally released on the 10th of October, 2022. Shot dead in broad daylight by two gunmen who seemed almost casual in their approach. The gunmen arrived, carried out the murder and left the club in under a minute. At one point, both gunmen stood over Sean, shooting him as he collapsed to the floor. The gunmen fired over 20 bullets. They were inside the premises for approximately 21 seconds. 42-year-old Sean Fox was murdered as he had a drink in Donegal Celtic's social club off the Suffolk Road in West Belfast. His uncle was sitting beside him. One of his two children was also present. This was a calculated, planned and ruthless execution. It was carried out in broad daylight and in the presence of others. It's the latest in a series of murders carried out in West Belfast linked to drug dealing. He appears to be a very cold, callous and calm individual. And I believe that he has done this before. It's like they've come up with a winning formula, that they have to have found a way of carrying out these killings. I'm joined by our crime correspondent, Alison Morris. Alison, who was Sean Fox? Well, Sean Fox was um, a member of what I suppose has been called the so-called Marbella crew, a gang of men, mainly from West Belfast in the Short Strand area of East Belfast, who had become involved in quite high-level um, drug dealing and criminality and were known for their flesh lifestyles, you know, their fancy cars, their personalised number plates. But prior to that, Sean Fox was, you know, a father of two. Um, he was a, a very promising footballer when he was younger. Um, he'd played for Donegal Celtic. Um, he'd also played for um, a number of other Irish league teams at one point and had had aspirations as a young man to be a professional footballer. Um, he was from West Belfast. It was a place that he knew very well. But more recently, he had been living in Lisburn um, uh, on the outskirts of of, uh, of Belfast in a, a new build sort of housing estate. Um, but, I mean, he was someone who would have been known to people who mix in those circles, who was most certainly known to police in that respect, but wouldn't have been a sort of household name, if you like. I mean, it wouldn't have been someone that people would have heard his name and automatically associated with that kind of high-level criminality. He denied, as I understand it, any links to, to drugs. So to, to go through that, I suppose we have to go, go back to his associations with Jim Donegan. So he was a very close friend of, of Jim, um, J.D. Donegan. And Jim Donegan was shot dead outside his son's school, St Mary's Grammar School on the Glen Road, while he did the school run. Mr Donegan was shot as he sat in his car on the Glen Road, waiting to collect his son from school, an everyday event which ended in tragedy. 
he wasn't a typical father on the school run. He was sitting behind the wheel of an £80,000 Porsche at the time. And a gunman approached on foot, shot him several times in the head behind the wheel of, of his very high-performance car, and he died almost instantly. Sean Fox was a very close friend of J.D. Dunnigan. In fact, after he died, he took over his business. So Dunnigan run a sort of car valeting, car rental business. Um, Sean Fox took over that, and he was also rumoured to have taken over his side of the drug dealing business. That had led to rumours being spread about Sean Fox. And last year, he posted on Facebook after a list appeared online that had named him as being um, a big player in the drugs trade, denying that he was a drug dealer, um, saying that he didn't need to account for himself. He didn't need to say where he got his car. He drove a, a very fancy top-of-the-range Mercedes with a personalised number plate that said Foxy. Um, on it and he said he didn't need to account for that and told people to believe him and his family alone and that was his public denial of that and since then he continued with his routine you know he clearly did not believe himself to be under major threat but the association with Donegan is something that we can track right to the that that shooting in the, the Donegal Celtic and they were both carried out in broad daylight by Uh, Well, security sources have described this hit as professional. You know, uh, that's, uh, it it, it is, obviously we're talking about people, people losing their lives, people being gunned down. But, you know, to casually walk up to someone in in a crowded place to shoot them accurately, this person, and it doesn't, you know, I'm not saying it's the same person, but there's someone that knows what they're doing. It's my understanding that one of those people is the same person. Um, the other one was not, obviously. There was one person involved in the murder of J.D. Dunnigan. There was two involved in this. Police have previously released CCTV of the Dunnigan murder, which shows a man who was wearing a high-res vest who walked quite casually along the Glen Road. And then after he had carried out the shooting in front of, you know, horrified mothers and pupils on who were, you know, waiting to collect their children after school, he jogged away and into the, the nearby housing estate um, never to be seen again. In this case, there are two gunmen, and the CCTV of this is quite telling in terms of what went on. Um, the two gunmen approached the Donegal Celtic, which is just known in West Belfast as the DC, and they approached it on foot, very casually, dressed incredibly casually, you know, in casual hoodies, one in a sort of white hoodie, one in a, a pale blue hooded sweatshirt with their hoods up. They have not got masks on, but like a sort of snood type thing pulled up over their face, something that could be very quickly, you know, removed. It wouldn't, I mean, had you been driving along the Suffolk Road or walking along the Suffolk Road, I don't think you'd have given either of them a second glance. And they had their hands in their pockets. They walked towards the doors of the DC. That is where the CCTV catches them. There is no CCTV from inside the building. And then they're seen jogging, not even running, but jogging from the building in 21 seconds. What happened was the two men went into the bar. It was a very busy bar. It was Sunday afternoon at half two. Um, the Merseyside Derby was on. The place was packed full of mainly, mainly men, it has to be said, watching the um, watching the football. They knew exactly where Sean Fox was sitting. They went straight to him. It wasn't a case of them getting in and saying, who is Sean Fox, where is Sean Fox? They walked straight to him. They clearly had someone who um, was providing information from inside the bar because they knew the exact seat that he was sitting on. 
they walked over to him and what I have been told is one of the gunmen the more experienced of the two shot him once in the head and then both of them emptied the, the magazines of the automatic handguns they were carrying and fired 20 shots and then turned and left and police have told us that from entering to leaving they took 21 seconds 21 seconds to enter the bar fired 20 shots murder a man Sean Fox died, died instantly um, there are you know the, the DC is attached to a football club there's people within that club who are obviously first aiders who coach you know the youth football teams there was no there was you know no point in any of them attempting to give him any kind of medical assistance he was he was dead within seconds and they jog from the bar and just like in the Donegan uh, murder into the nearby house in the state never to be seen again um, what it's interesting about the murders and we'll go through others that are said to be linked to the same group of people but what's interesting about them is they seem to have developed a I'm going to be very careful my words because I understand there's people who've lost their lives here but it's almost like they've come up with a winning formula that they have just have found a way of carrying out these killings which is not that similar it's not similar really to what we would have seen during the conflict because there's never any cars found you know in killings and even when I cover old historical um, inquiries team reports or inquests or anything like that, there's often, you know, this person was killed in such and such. And, you know, a short time later, a car was found burnt out in a different part of Belfast or a different part of whatever city they'd been murdered. Um, there's no cars used in these killings. The killers arrive on foot, they leave on foot. And the reason for that, I would assume, is that people have been prosecuted in relation to evidence which has been recovered from getaway vehicles. You know, set and fire to them. Um, sometimes in those cases, the car doesn't fully burn. It leaves DNA, it leaves evidence. The car then can be traced as to where it was last purchased, who was the last owner, where did it come from, where had it been stored in the days before the murder. All of those things are evidence the police would collect when there's a killing like this. You take the car out, you take a major part of the evidence gathering um, part from that killing so these people are disappearing into housing estates and what that would also tell me is that they have a support network and they have a support network quite close and a support network that is offering them some sort of safe house or somewhere where they're able to disappear into change their clothes emerge a short time later you know the weapons are clearly being taken away to somewhere else the clothing they're wearing is clearly being taken away to somewhere else and then they're able to just blend into the um, blend into where they are, just walk out, walk somewhere else, and that's it. You know, there's there's no way of of tracing them, and this is what's making the police the police's job, I think, in this case, more difficult because of the manner in which these killings are being carried out. But it is causing, you know, complete concern just in the you know the wider public. I mean, that we know the people who are involved in that kind of high level criminality are clearly concerned. By this, we've been told they've held meetings in the wake of Sean Fox's murder to try and decide what they're doing. Some, I'm told, have decided that's it, they've had enough, they're going to leg it and take off somewhere else. You know, others were discussing potential retaliation, which, given what we've seen on the CCTV from the police, I'm not sure trying to retaliate to people who are able to walk into a bar and shoot someone 20 times and leave in 21 seconds would be the wisest move. And others then are trying to sort of buy their safety and desperately reaching out to anyone that they think might have some kind of leverage in order to try and secure their safety in the future. Um, but the fact is, these killers are clearly operating 
I'm not going to say with impunity because, you know, clearly there's, there's police investigations and all these killings. But nobody at this point, there have been many people arrested in relation to the previous killings. Some of the people you would expect, I always think in these cases, you know, we talk about the usual suspects, but the usual suspects are usually rounded up and released a few days later without charge. But nobody has been charged with any of the killings since Jim Donegan in 2018, um, 2018, December 2018, until the murder of Sean Fox, which to my count, if I'm counting that the same people were involved, makes him the sixth victim of this gunman or gunman who operates sometimes in powers. So extremely well organised. Cool, calm, collected, clearly know what they're doing. Um, without without a second thought, it seems, able to escape on foot quite casually into the local area, perhaps with a support network. It begs the question then, who's doing this? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's clear that this is being carried out by people, I suppose, that we would call dissident Republicans, but not in a way that any organisation is going to claim these killings. Um, there has been no claim for any of the previous murders, and I would be shocked if anyone claimed this murder. Um, what's also interesting is we're having no joy finding out from the police about the ballistics of the weapons used in these murders to see what the links are between them and to see if the same weapons are being used. But it's my understanding that there's different weapons have been used in a lot of these murders, which raises all kinds of different questions. So it raises questions as to this group. Um, you know, let's call them sort of vigilante killers, freelance killers, whatever you want to call them, have access to weapons, they have access to arms, um, access to automatic handguns and access to it's my understanding from my source, brand new, fresh out of the box weapons. So there is no ballistics, which again makes detectives' job much harder because they know by the ballistics and the previous of such weapons is who is likely to have been the organization or even the person who had their hands on that gun. And in this case that's proven very difficult because it's my understanding that in a lot of these killings they're using brand new weapons with no previous ballistics history. And you mentioned a number of murders. Uh, there are different figures around how many people have been killed in this type of, of incident. Um, the Marbella crew, four or six. Could you mention some of the other incidents that you think may be related to this murder? These type of, of you know, killings of high-profile criminals aren't new to us in this, in this shore, you know, in this place. Um, you can go right back to the direct action against drug killings, the killings that came near the end of the conflict, the killings that you know many refer to as RA housekeeping as they cleaned house while they prepared to call a ceasefire where they killed a number of high-profile drug dealers, you know, people like um, Brandy Campbell, Mickey Mooney, um, Saul Devine, those killings that, that all happened in a very quick succession. So we have seen these type of sort of vigilante killings against people accused of criminality before. Um, we've seen other vigilante groups, such as Action Against Drugs, who are based in the New Lodge, who have also been responsible um, for the murder of, I think it's two people at this stage, possibly three, I think they have claimed. But these killings haven't been claimed, and these are the ones that I believe are connected to this same group. So we're talking... J.D. Dunnigan, we've already discussed that, shot outside of some school. You know, broad daylight, again, you know, killer, as calm as you like, walks up, shoots him a number of times at close range. The shooting at close range means, you know, he, he has stood no chance. He's dead almost instantly. And that 
sent out a message. Also, Mr. Dunnigan was known to have been paying protection money to other armed paramilitary organisations. Figures as much as £10,000 a month have been bandied around in terms of the money he was paying in order to keep himself safe. That clearly didn't work. What happened after um, J.D. Dunnigan's murder is the people who were close to him panicked. You know, they started, you know, contacting these dissident Republican groups saying, what's wrong? We're paying you money. Why are our members being, you know, why are we still being shocked? Some of them offered information on their mates, basically, in return for their own safety. Some of them offered to give in guns in return for their own safety. Others offered to give money. It's my understanding that this group, they're kind of like these murders refused and said they didn't want money from them. And that means they're in a difficult position as to then how do they buy their safety? How do they get out of that if they're going to continue with their criminality? Jim Dunnigan and Sean Fox were friends. They were friends and they were part of this so-called Marbella crew. There's quite a number of other people who would be their friends. They've been pictured widely. You know, they're pictures that, you know, we can't use for legal purposes. But in those pictures, you see these boys, out, you know, living the high life on holidays. You know, the Marbella crew came from the, the pictures of them you know, at that sort of exclusive resort, which was, let's face it, you know, Marbella and the Kinnahans became very closely linked. That was where their gym was. That was where the you know, Spanish police have raided a house quite recently and arrested people that they're accused of being money launders for the Kinnahans. So you can see how that sort of people involved in that sort of criminal lifestyle were drawn to Marbella and the sort of criminal gangster glamour that went along with that. Um, the other two people who were murdered who were widely involved in, in criminality was... Warren Crossan and his friend Mark Hall. Around 12.50pm yesterday afternoon, police in Belfast received reports of a shooting in the St Catharines Road area of West Belfast. Uh, what we now know is that two unknown gunmen fired a number of shots at a man in broad daylight on a residential street, fatally winning him. Now this is interesting because this is when north and south of the border criminality clashes. So Warren Crossan was in the house where Robbie Lawler, the drop at a Dublin gangster was murdered in Etna Drive in Ardoin in um, April 2020. He was arrested shortly after that murder but was released without charge but he was widely believed to have been the person who set Robbie Lawler up. At that time Robbie Lawler probably would have been the most notorious gangster in Ireland. He was linked to um, the murder of a teenage boy, a little, you know, a sort of runner for a Drogheda-based drug crew that used these kids on bikes to do a lot of their dirty work. He was abducted, he was taken to a house and he was he murdered and dismembered and parts of his body left in different locations. It was a murder, you know, that shocked the nation and Robbie Lawler had been widely linked to that. What wasn't known is that he was hiding out in Belfast, he was drinking in the cathedral quarter and he was mixing with criminals from Northern Ireland and he had been in the house in Ardoin when the person who shot him came in he ran out into the garden and tried to flee, but was shot dead in the garden, again dying in the garden, broad daylight, children out playing in the street. Two people have been charged in relation to that murder, both in Belfast, but Warren Crossan was believed to be the mastermind behind that. He had um, connections to the South. His mother, you know, and his, his maternal family are from Limerick, um, and he is believed to have negotiated a deal with those who um, had reason to want to kill Lawler and he, that he would have him taken out in Belfast and he was to be paid a, you know, a significant amount of money for this. You know, people would have thought when they heard that Warren Crossan was dead 
was this the sort of Dracula gangsters taking revenge? Well, Lawler's crew were mainly, mainly a, a group of, you know, um, Lawless sort of furry young people. The fact that one of them would come up into the middle of West Belfast, a place considered St. James's, a very Republican district of West Belfast, and murder someone in broad daylight seemed very unlikely. Instead, it seems that this group had decided to make an example of Crossan. Crossan's father was Tommy Crossan, a high-profile dissident, a man I interviewed many, many times. He was a leader of the Continuity IRA, and he was shot dead in 2014 as he sat in a, a fuel yard that he owned in the Springfield Road inside a hut. Warren would have been quite young at the time, but as Warren then grew up and got more and more into that sort of high-level criminality involved drugs and guns, you know, he was threatening to avenge his father's murder. He was threatening to kill those who he believed had killed his father. That, along with the fact that he was being linked to significant amounts of drugs that were being brought into Northern Ireland, I think was more likely what sealed his fate. And again, brought daylight in a street in St James's. And the following year, his enforcer, a guy called Mark Hall. Mark Hall was big in bulk and stature, you know, in stature. He was someone that Warren Cross and used when people wouldn't pay their drug debts. He sent Hall around to knock on their doors. Um, he again was in St James's visiting his mother and there were shots fired through the window and he died. So they are the four sort of criminal stroke drug dealers who, are the, the, who have so far been the targets of this group. But there's two other people as well and that's where it gets slightly more complicated. The other two murders are more to do with infighting within distant republicanism itself. And the problem with that kind of organisation and what I have found as a you know, security journalist, I interview these people quite regularly, is that there is a lot of egos within those kind of groups. There's a lot of grandstanding um, and people sometimes lose the run of themselves. They get very paranoid as well. And that was what happened with the murder of Kieran Wiley. Kieran Wiley had been a former member of um, Ogun Ahern, what we'd call the NH. That group was now on ceasefire. Um, but he had been accused by a number of people of being a police informer, and he was shot in his house in Lenadoon by two people again. So this is we're seeing this gunman operating solo, and then we're also seeing them operate in pairs. Two men went into um, Kieran Wiley's house. They shot him dead in front of his daughters. Um, and he again died at the scene. He received quite horrific injuries. That was a killing that seems to have been more to do with infighting among people within the, the ranks of distant republicanism. And we can also link that then to uh, another murder, that of, of Danny McLean, who again was a former distant republican. He had done some prison time for um, being a member of a distant republican organisation, but had become increasingly paranoid he was living in other places outside of Belfast. He presented as homeless. He was actually, at the time of his death, living in a, a hostel in North Belfast. He had been arrested and charged in connection with having information likely to be of use to terrorists. That information was actually the names, addresses, and car registration numbers of other Republican associates he had once been friends with. He had been known, he was seeking people out, he was trying to source weapons, and they believed that as part of his paranoia, he was going to come and start trying to kill people. Um, and therefore a decision seemed to have been taken to kill him first before he could kill anybody else. And he was shot sitting in his car uh, in uh, North Belfast, Lone Gunman, on his own, on foot. And just if we can return to 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 Sean Fox and, and J.D. Donegan, I mean, what would the motivation 
B, and there's the suggestion, strong suggestion, obviously, that this is something to do with um, armed re- dissident Republicans. I mean, what is shooting these people? What has that got to do with rebelling against British rule? What we find is that most of those armed dissident groups have are no longer involved in what I suppose we would call national security threats. It's been a very long time for many of those dissident groups have targeted a police officer, a prison officer, someone in a uniform. And let's sort of compare it slightly to what happened at the end of the Troubles with direct action against drugs when the IRA used that cover name to take out a number of senior drug dealers. That was done, first of all, because they knew that once they committed to peace, they wouldn't be able to carry out those kind of actions. It was done because these people were considered dangerous and armed, and there was a discussion among um, the IRA that what happens if we call a ceasefire and then they start shooting us? You know, would we be able to protect ourselves or retaliate against them? And what we see with these people as well is they're not being clever with their criminality and their cash. They're being flesh with it. They are very came from very working class backgrounds, the majority of them. They've now got, you know, a lot of disposable cash and wealth, which they can't really put in the bank because it's illegally gained. And so they spend it, they very publicly spend it. It's the flashiness, I think, of the money. And then if you compare that to what we have seen in relation to drugs, especially what is happening in the city centre of Belfast at the minute, and you see people who are addicted to drugs living in very dire circumstances, that may go through a process of the hands of 50 other people. But there is a link between those two things. You know, if you're the person who's bringing the drugs in, you're maybe not selling them, you're, you know, handing them to someone else, they're making their way through the hands of five or six different people. The drug is probably taking its way onto the streets and they're comparing, you know, we're comparing that and the sort of, you know, downfall of society in relation to how many drugs and suicides there are of young people who have drug debts. Are they setting themselves up as sort of police force moral arbitrators? Well, I mean, I don't know if anyone can have moral high ground who's going and shooting somebody 20 times in a, a club in broad daylight. Alison Morris, security correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. And don't forget you can read more about this story and other crime stories on belfasttelegraph.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.